Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark, Mark and Vincenzo here. It is Thursday, March 24th or Friday, March 25th. If you're on the East Coast, Vincenzo burning the midnight oil again on, a, on you know, it's got to be a hard day. I mean, Vincenzo, how do you go from riding so high to so low in the space of a week? I mean, I saw the videos of you like basically doing cartwheels and backflips up and down your street there after the Bahrain Garage, Grand Prix. And then this, hey, come on. I, I, I know it's tough for the Azzurri. I know it's tough for the Italians, <laughs> but I'm half Dutch. I'm half English. I still remember the pain of last summer of the Euros and every big match ever that England and Holland have ever played so i'm not bugging vincenzo i'm just i i'm saying brother i understand your pain because you know like on the flip side canada just lost one nil tonight to, to to costa rica but unlike italy at least canada still has an opportunity to qualify for the world cup and we're already a couple minutes into the show and everybody's like what the hell is this <laughs> when, <laughs> when did this show turn into a soccer podcast and not formula one but Hey, there's uh, everything, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, we're, we got the podcast rolling. We got the live stream on YouTube uh, rolling. So I'm sure we're going to, Vincenzo, you're going to get some sympathy and some love one way or another tonight uh, you know, you and know, some support from other people. It, but this is sport, right? Somebody reached out. I had people reaching out to me saying, are you okay? <laughs> like, and, and I thought about it for, and I was like, I am genuinely not genuinely not okay and which is crazy because you said you know you go from these ultimate highs ferrari goes one two start of the seasons off with a bang and it's just pure emotional high and i'm going into this weekend saying i am going to be belting out the national anthem twice this weekend you know and 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 now it's like yeah, it was just very, very bad, crashing down as low as possible. So, so um, basically, you're, today, if we were recording earlier today, this would have been even worse. I was just going to say, so basically, you're doubling down for uh, the Saudi Grand Prix this weekend, and hopefully that uh, Ferrari can uh, recapture the same magic that we saw last week in Bahrain. One, one Am hopes I right? That is the case. One, <laughs> one hopes that is the case. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. To, it's tough you know that i was thinking too like uh, going back and thinking about moments like that and the, the first big world cup moments uh, that that really stuck in my mind when i was growing up was italia 90 when england got knocked out uh, by germany and i don't west know germany. if it's if yeah yeah it would have been west germany at the time exactly and i don't know if it's still up on youtube because it was done by itv or bbc or one of the big networks in uh, in, in the uk there and it's a documentary called gaza's tears 
Because there's that iconic photo of Paul Gascoigne, basically, you know, he's he's crying, he's he's got he's wiping the tears off of his face with the, you know, the with it with his shirt, and um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, it's still, you know, because like I say, it was from one of the big networks, so it might have been taken down. But if you can ever see Gaza's tears, like because I remember as a kid growing up, like we spent half of the World Cup in England and half the the, the World Cup in Holland, ultimately to be disappointed on both fronts. <laughs> but it, it was a memorable, memorable summer. So I, you know, just going back and seeing the whole story about like England going through and you know they didn't really have like a, a you know, nobody really gave them a shot and they got on a bit of a roll and then that heartbreak i think they played that match in turin if i remember but uh, i i could be mistaken but uh, that that's one to check out but uh, boys the, uh, england west west germany yeah, it was it was England, West Germany. I remember it was uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, Rudy Voller, all these. Uh, I think Lothar Mateus, like a lot of these iconic West German players at uh, at the it time. It was. It was. It was in uh, Juventus's home stadium. There you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah. So, also, I'm on the podcast tonight too. Yeah, we we haven't forgotten about you, uh, Mark. So, well, why don't we? You know, well, not that you're not a, a soccer fan, but you've been sitting there so nice and politely. But what? But why don't we do what we always do at this time on a Thursday night? Why? Why do we talk a little bit of Formula One and dial it back in because we're not getting any yeah. rest. Bahrain is behind us. We have 22 races to go. We've had uh, you know, we've had some controversy already. We've had some exciting moments already. Lots of interesting storylines going into the race this weekend, but we, we, we've got so many news stories to pick up on. So why don't we start with, I guess this could be a bit of a trigger topic, uh, depending on who you are, but the FIA you know, astounded and surprised all of us. And they actually released the Abu Dhabi report and said that, quote unquote, I'm doing the inverted commas here for, for those of you watching on YouTube, that human error was a factor in uh, the Max winning that race and Lewis losing the, the, the title and all that uh, controversy. So, Mark, since uh, you've been so cruelly let out of or left out of the conversation so far, I'll let <laughs> I'll let you go first. What did you make of the uh, the, the fact that, A, they released it and the, the, the things that came out in the report? Are are you satisfied? You feel like they came clean, or is there there? You know, yeah. I, give me your take. I am a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't deeply upset and frustrated by what we saw on December 12th. <clears throat> but I was also never of the mindset that there was a manufactured outcome or that there was some grand conspiracy to steal a title away from Lewis Hamilton. That to me, it was a man under immense pressure yeah. from a number of different directions, lacking the infrastructure necessary to officiate that that moment. And, and he ultimately ended up cracking in a sense and making a bad decision. And the report that was released by the FIA to me was surprisingly transparent and surprisingly humble in the sense that it clearly acknowledged a couple of things. One was that the rules as they are established were not followed, but furthermore, due to a human error that, and this was one of the interesting things, like if you really dig in to the report, it even states, the FIA even states that at one point they don't believe that. Michael Massey even knew how many cars had been lapped, that he may legitimately have thought only five cars had been lapped, that they've leaned into, it was a human error. I'm still strongly of the mind that it is. The title stands, the championship stands, we move on. And, you know, Vincenzo off the top and before the show was talking about there's a human element to sport and yeah. this type of thing happens. And unfortunately it happened at the worst moment of the worst race, at the worst point. But we move on. And if you're not satisfied with the outcome, I'm not necessarily sure what you were looking for because the FIA and Formula One were never going to rescind that title. They were never going to hand it to Hamilton. And at the very, very best, they simply would have wiped out the outcome of that race and Max would still have been a champion. So 
well, I'm not satisfied with the outcome of the season. I'm satisfied with the outcome of the report and we move on. So Vincenzo, I'm going to throw this one at you. I mean, personal allegiances sure. put aside for, for, for one moment. Yeah. I mean, everybody kind of knows where our loyalties all lie. I mean, you didn't really have a horse in that race, but so you're a little bit more objective than, uh, than, than a lot of other people, mm-hmm. um, in the, the, the Max V Lewis thing last year, but in your point of view, do you think we have closure now based on what uh, the, this report stated? Do you, do you think that we can draw a line under this now? You know, from my perspective, yes. It's like, okay, this is what they found. We knew. Here's the other thing. We knew that was the case. People that were not invested in it to the extent that some are knew this is human error. This happens in sport. Um like like Hamilton just said, I, I'm okay. Listen, I, not that I'm okay with the situation, but I'm okay with the, the answer they gave. The only thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way with how they go about it is, well, then why'd you fire the guy if it's human error, <laughs> or why did you? Yeah. You know, which we could that could be a whole different rabbit hole. But yeah. point, I, I think that from a sport, you know, from uh, the perspective of sport, it is it, it happens. A mistake was made. It showed the hole in the rules of how, you know, and they went and changed kind of that wording that any to all thing, situation, right? Um, and and now we have to just kind of, we have to move on, right? I know there's still a lot of folks that hold on to it. Like, we're still going to bang on this drum, but what is that going to do? Quite frankly, if you're holding on to last year, then you shouldn't be watching this year because if you're watching this year, then you then you believe that something is going to be different. So mm-hmm. if you believe that, then you have to let go of last year. That that's how I truly and genuinely feel. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm done and over with it. It is what it is. Like we, it's not going to change. Yeah, period. yeah, Hard you stop. know. Yeah, totally. I agree with you. And uh, I think it lends a little bit more context because if you go back and I, I know there's a separate issue where, which we're going to talk about in a, in a minute here, just with like the, you know, the quote unquote uh, manufactured drama and DTS, but just uh, maybe taking that conversation out of it, if you just kind of go back and just listen to some of those different radio transmissions, uh, radio conversations in that race, especially at the end, when, when you can hear the heartbreak, like in Toto's voice, he's like, Michael, this is wrong. And when, when Michael comes back and he, Massey comes back, he says, Toto, you know, at the end of the day, it was a motor race. We went racing. Th- th- this happened. You know, it kind of, you know, it, it strikes, uh, you know, it, it strikes me in a little bit of a different different way now. Mark, you look like you want to jump in here and say something. Yeah, only I was just going to read a section of the FIA's uh, findings. And I quote, respective communications to the race director by the Red Bull Racing and Mercedes team principals during the final laps of the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix had a negative impact on the smooth running of the final laps because they were distracting when the race director needed to focus on making difficult and time pressure decisions. So I don't disagree, mm-hmm. but again, this speaks to the fact that logistically the FIA didn't necessarily put Michael Massey in a situation where he could be successful, that being pressured by team principals isn't new to formula one. It's not like this is the first time they've had access to the race director via a radio. So again, when I speak to this, there was a human <laughs> element piece and there was human error as well. But I'm also satisfied that in a sense, at least based on some of the structural changes that have been made, the FIA also acknowledging that structurally we were deficient and we had not set Michael Massey up to be successful in that moment. 
Yeah. And now, the, like Vincenzo said, they fired him. And now he's licking stamps in the mailroom at FIA World Headquarters in an era where nobody sends letters anymore. So, <laughs> no, no, no. He's, he's guarding the safe where they keep all the driver contracts. There you go. There, <laughs> where, where, where is that? In Zurich or Bern or somewhere like yeah, that in, yep. in Switzerland. Okay. Now, I, I want to throw out a couple of uh, numbers out here. And uh, Vincenzo, I want to uh, get you to comment on sure. something here in a second. So, according to uh, Adam Stern, ESPN earned a point. 75 rating and 1.53 million viewers for the Grand Prix last weekend in Bahrain. It was a big up from a, a 0.53 rating and just a, a, a 880,000 viewers just a year ago. And uh, that, that race was on ESPN too. And then I'm going to sort of put this into uh, the, the second part of it. I'm going to put the TV numbers and some of the social media engagement uh, into it as well. So Haas, surprisingly, well, maybe not surprising considering the, the, the race in the weekend they had, they had the best social media engagement uh, during uh, the, the, the season opener. And Scuderia Ferrari got the, the most new followers um, per at Zoomf. So I want you to talk about both of those because I know, uh, you know, the TV, but also the, the, the social media part, because I know that uh, you know some of the guys at Zoomf, so maybe you can give us a little bit of uh add a little bit of color to these numbers yeah sure i mean first of all first things first look at the numbers it clearly what happened last year didn't affect the numbers it only grew uh season opener of course is going to be bigger so that's fine but we haven't seen this type of number on espn since 1995 in 1995 the brazilian gp was the opener that year it was also the year after Senna died, Brazilian GP, his home track. Um, so, so we haven't seen those kind of numbers. So for me, like going back on the last story to say that anything that was affected from last year, clearly that blows it out of the water. Going into the social media numbers, um, I, I actually work with Zoom to put together the F1 numbers that Adam Stern <laughs> was using. So um we look at impressions, we look at engagement data, we look at um, how different audiences are interacting with different brands associated to whomever they're, they're kind of engaging with. So if, a, if a, an audience as a whole is engaging with Ferrari, Haas, Mercedes, Red Bull, what other affinities and what brands do they have affinity to? Meaning, what other brands are they engaging with? Who actually is that audience? This type of data is very valuable because they can tell you potential sponsorship opportunities, potential engagement opportunities. Um, it can tell you who your audience actually is, what they consume. Um, it can tell you things about your audience that you know, you may not know otherwise. And so understand, and, and, and I'm going deeper than, than just the numbers you told. Um, but if you look at, let's just look at sponsorships. Um, uh, if we look at Shell, Santander, Alpine, uh, Alpine stars, Alpine stars, whatever, Petronas, Puma, these brands are all associated with different teams. And so understanding how their logos are being sp- kind of splattered across the internet in various ways, whether it's sharing a photo, sharing a video, tagging them. Um, we start to gather how much value is actually being pulled out of social media. Uh, and, and so one of the things that 
uh, one of the data points that I was tracking was the sponsorship. And so Shell, Santander, Alpine Stars, and Petronas all had over a million dollars of brand logo value. Now, a million dollars is pretty arbitrary because we don't know exactly how much each click or each impression is actually worth. But to kind of level everything and make it all equal, um, these numbers are impressive. And so Shell, Santander, obviously being shown all over the Ferrari cars and the race suits, and they were the winning constructor, the winning uh, one, two. So their logos were showing up a lot, whether it was in photos or shared videos. Does Shell actually get any value out of that? No, but it just basically means that Shell could have potentially, again, based on, we can we can also calculate if we were running this for Shell and we knew what their click-through um, uh, values were, we could actually give them an actual value based on their impressions and their engagement and, and all of that. But let's just say $1.4 million for Shell. They know that Ferrari sponsorship is working. Okay. Mm-hmm. We know that this is very worth it for us. We know that anything that's happening on social is worth it. Maybe we can up our our sponsorship to do more on social media. So that that's one thing. Um, something else that I don't know if if Adam had mentioned, but it, it was one of the things that we had we had tracked was the audience itself. And I think this is really interesting for the show because the American audience was up twenty three percent. So the conversation wow. was being had by an American audience. It increased over last year, 23%. The female audience was an increase of 10%. The Gen Z audience was up only 1%, but compared to the average global sports fan, Mm -hmm. Formula One was being talked about 18% more than other sports. That's amazing. Those are double-digit figures like across the board. That's amazing. Very impressive numbers. Um, We had conversation was actually the top country was the United States, uh, followed by the United Kingdom, then Spain, Mexico, and France. So th- these are the, where the con- you know the countries where a lot of the the conversation was happening for you know whatever reason. Um, I think it's really important, and and Zoom is is essentially an analytics company. They that's a social analytics company. They pull all of this. They can pull it from all across the, the web, and we we essentially pull things from. I say we, because I work with them very closely. I'm very good friends with the founder and a lot of the guys there. But they pull things from YouTube, from Instagram, from Twitter, from Facebook, TikTok. Um, so understanding social is very, very important. It's no longer just a, oh, that's for kids. No, there's very real and valuable data you can pull from it. And Formula One's no different. Um, Haas, no surprise why they they got you know so much engagement. Gunther Steiner's all over uh, Drive to Survive, and now they're doing well. And there's more reason for him to be exactly right everywhere. Yeah, so it, it 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 makes sense. But to give it a value and to understand the real impact rather than saying like, oh wow, that was a great tweet, right? Um, it it, it kind of puts everything into perspective. So yeah, anyway, that that's I, I plan on doing more of this every week. We I've been talking to Zoom. Uh, this week about making sure we can get one, get a full report every week as a year over year of like the same weekend or the same race uh, from the previous year. So we can really understand is there growth, um, how much growth, where the conversation is happening, sponsorships, all that kind of thing. So we'll definitely be looking at it uh, all year. 
Okay, well, that's cool. Thanks for for, uh, giving some context to that. I mean, basically what it comes down to, it was a big weekend for Ferrari and for Haas on and off the track, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, points and uh, and wins and also uh, for for their engagement with the fans. I mean, those are really, really incredible numbers and an extra special weekend or week for Haas because Mick Schumacher uh, uh, celebrating his 23rd birthday this week. So let's park it there for a moment and then we'll we'll come back on the flip side and we're not going to go overseas just yet. We're going to stay stateside because it looks like we might be having a race in Vegas come Thanksgiving weekend in 2023. We'll talk about that in a moment, so don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, well, welcome back. And now it's, uh, well, we speculated a long, long time, years in fact, that there was going to be a race in Miami, which we're going to see in just a few short weeks from now. But now this conversation, this there's been smoke associated with this potential fire of a, a Grand Prix in uh, Las Vegas. So this has really picked up a little bit more speed this week. And Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit more about a potential race in Las Vegas as early as 2023? I would argue that this is possibly the worst kept secret in in Formula <laughs> One. It's been it's been clear, and let's let's be very honest, right? Liberty bought Formula One five years ago, and they had a vision and they had ambitions for the sport. And I think one of the things that they had identified early on was that the U.S. was a fundamentally untapped market. You look at the U.S., there's 330 million people there. You had one race. You look at Western Europe, there's 360 million people there. How many races are there? 10, 11, 12, 15. So I think when they looked at the opportunity to grow the sport, the U.S. presented the biggest opportunity. Mm. And certainly, they've got a lift as a byproduct of the Drive to Survive program that I don't think anyone could have anticipated. Miami's a smash. It's sold out. The ticket ASP, average selling price, is astronomically high as vincenzo just spoke to you're seeing really strong comps in the tv ratings and i would argue to be honest that those tv ratings are super super misleading because let's be very honest the younger demo the people you want watching your product don't have tv subscriptions they are watching on streaming platforms so those numbers are actually probably pretty conservative and probably speak to the older demo that is consuming your product Looks like we're going to Vegas. It hasn't been officially announced, but it looks like we're going to be racing on some sort of hybrid or entirely street-based track, presumably during Thanksgiving weekend at the end of November in 2023. So for me, this opens up a whole slew of questions just with respect to how the calendar looks. And I think what we'll probably see based on some chatter on the web is we'll continue to see that triple header of Austin, 
Mexico City, Brazil. We'll bounce back to Vegas, and then we'll head back to the Middle East for a season finale in Abu Dhabi. Because what we do know is that that most recent agreement with Haas, or with Yas, guarantees that they get the season finale. But either way, it's going to be interesting. So you look at the U.S., we're going to have a dedicated closed circuit in Austin. We're going to have a hybrid circuit in Miami, and we're going to have a street circuit in Las Vegas. And I'm excited to hear what the details of this will be. Now, the really interesting thing is we're going back to China next year. Yeah, You know, Imola is going to be on the calendar next year, presumably as a substitute for Russia, but we are stacking new events onto the calendar like crazy. And we know as of the 2020 Concord Agreement, and the challenge is we don't really know. It's been reported that the Concord Agreement allows for 24 or 25 races before it needs to be renegotiated. We're going to hit that cap in a hurry. And we also saw a report earlier this week that the French government is not necessarily willing to fund the French Grand Prix in a way that would be necessary to keep it every year. So the French Grand Prix race organizers are now talking about, hey, can we do an alternating arrangement so for the first time maybe in the history of the sport we have more genuine interest in holding a grand prix than we have slots on the calendar but based on everything that we've heard this week we're going to las vegas for thanksgiving 2023 not us necessarily but (laughs) formula one is going to to vegas for thanksgiving 2023 well yeah a couple of years ago chase carey said that they had uh, interest of uh, up to was it 40 different venues that wanted to host a a grand prix and i mean there was talk that maybe you know we can see up to 30 on the calendar i mean like you say i mean the current agreement doesn't isn't structured for for that but i mean there's plenty of uh you know tracks out there i mean uh, not only were we looking at vegas i mean every once in a while south africa that sort of percolates up uh through the, uh, the 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 chatter that uh, they want to go back because when was the last time they had the, the Grand Prix in South Africa? Was it like the nineties, ninety two or ninety? Yeah, there you go. So wow, it, it's okay. been a, a long, long time. So uh, who knows? I mean, you know, getting up to like twenty. I mean, last year with twenty two races. I mean, that seemed pretty hectic. I mean, uh, th- this year is going to be just the same with 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 twenty three. I mean, if you throw in twenty four or twenty five, I mean, you're basically racing every other weekend for 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 half right. the year, right? And I was thinking about it this afternoon. It's just, uh, you know, if we go up and add even five potential races on top of that to get to 30, I mean, is is that almost a little bit too much? I mean, look at all the work that they had to do to go to 16 to 17 games in the NFL. I mean, that just didn't happen uh, overnight. I mean, football is a little bit different just because, you know, I I remember Max Strong, who used to play for the Seahawks, retired several years ago. He played fullback. He basically blocked for Sean Alexander when he had all those great years in Seattle. And when he retired, I remembered him being uh, interviewed on local radio here. And one of the questions was, well, Mac, are you going to miss uh, playing football? And he said, well, let's just say that for the past 15 years, I've woken up on Monday morning feeling like I was in a car wreck. So I'm not going to miss that, but I'm going to miss my teammates and all that sort of uh, good stuff. But the point is, you know, is, you know, then Vincenzo, maybe I'll throw this one to you. Do you think that there comes a point where maybe that's there there is that that line in the sand that maybe x number of races is too many races in a year what what, what do you think Oh for sure I mean th- I was going to say this is great great segue to my to what I was thinking about but at a, I mean listen 23 feels like too much right now mm-hmm. the season the season literally goes from February February testing shakedown whatever to december that's 10 months of the year that are dominated by the sport minus the the summer break that's 10 months that means these 
folks, the teams, the drivers, everybody get two months ish to themselves. Um, so that's just from that perspective, I think is, is, is ridiculous. The only option would be to shorten the summer break or to have more double headers, triple headers. Okay, fine. Let's just say that people agree to that. I don't think it's going to happen, but let's just say, well, now you run into the problem of logistically, are you constantly traveling back to the UK, Europe to then go back out? Well, now I truly believe this is where we're headed. We're going to end up with American US-based HQs for these teams as a jump off point to Asia Pacific and the US. That's really the only way to handle it. But at 22, 23 races, I think you're already really hitting that max number. Let's just say they go to 24, 25, fine. But anything more than that, I think what we'll see is a rotation. And I think, and, and Domenicali mentioned that there, you know, we could see 30, but not necessarily 30 on a calendar at once. It would be a rotation of six or so. I, right. I think that's, that's more realistic, right? We Good get call. a rotation. So like you said, France, maybe they want to do it once every couple yeah. of years. Maybe they, maybe they can only afford to do it once every four years. Okay, cool. We've got all these other tracks that'll do it. I think that gives us a nice rotation, right? You pick, you've got your main stage, you've got your four or five. And I know we've talked about this last season, kind of having like the, uh, the majors type situation. So you've got your four or five that are always on the calendar and then everything else could be rotating. If you truly have that much interest, why not? Um, but you got to keep it, you know, I think things have to say, and I say exclusive, not from the perspective of fans. It's not accessible to the fans, but exclusive in the, in the respect that it's still like you still want to be special, right? Every race should be special. If, if all of a sudden you've got 40 races on the calendar, does it feel special anymore? I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. Um, I think focusing on the fan experience is what's more important. Mm -hmm. Figure out how to provide. We talked about this on a on a previous show, the Lenovo deal. Figure out how to give fans a better AR VR experience if they can't make the track, or if you have such high demand that you're not able to, you know, uh, have enough tickets. That that I think is a better way of solving this demand problem rather than just hey, let's just throw more races on the calendar. Yeah. At some point it's just too much. Totally. And, and and you know, you throw that word in there demand because I was just thinking that, you know, if you're going to that, that Formula 1 when it comes to whatever number that they settle on, they need that sort of scarcity. You know, they they have to have almost a bit of a lack. I mean, that that's the one thing like in the NFL, you got 17 games. You lose two or three games and you think you're a contender. I mean, that puts a pretty big dent in your season. I mean, if you're in an uber competitive uh, di uh, division and you drop a couple of games, I mean, you're dropping behind your 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 rivals, right? I mean, you go from maybe, you know, getting a first round buy to maybe getting a wild card or maybe not making yeah. the playoffs at all, right? And I like that idea of scarcity. So, I mean, if you push it too much and you're racing too much, I mean, not only is it a burden on uh, the, the teams and the, uh, and the personnel and, you know, on the fans even to a certain extent, but, you know, you can have, you can afford to drop a couple of races and, you know, maybe it's not going to be I, such I gonna, a big deal, right? Yeah. I was going to say the mentality that I, I want to say enjoy 
uh, or, or, or I, I like to think about is these direct to consumer brands. Yeah. Instead of just upping the supply when demand is really high, they allow things to sell out and that's it. Right. And then we'll do a new drop later on, mm-hmm. whatever my, that might be. I almost feel like that's where Formula One is, is at right now, where it's like you have such high demand, let things sell out and play out that way instead of we're just going to keep upping the supply so that you can go find another race to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I just at some point it's going to get to be too much. So like that mentality of like a drop mentality, I almost feel like could work here. Yeah. That's really good. So, Mark, I'm going to throw this one to you in the couple minutes we have before the break. So, I, you know, I, I like this idea that Vincenzo is talking about. You've got like your core set of races and then maybe you have some of these uh, venues, say like your Hockenheim, say like your uh, your Paul Ricards, your French Grand Prix, and maybe throw in some of these other ones. Maybe, I, I, don't, I can't speak for the organizers for, for Kalaami, uh, the South African uh, Grand Prix, but maybe these different tracks, maybe even Malaysia you can throw in this conversation. Maybe they want to host a race, but maybe they can only afford to do it. It's, um, you know, once every two, three years or something like that. But you have your core number of uh, of races. Do you like that idea that uh, you kind of like mix it up with these uh, occasional races in addition to your, say, your fixed calendar? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think what we need to be very cautious of is economically speaking, it is extraordinarily expensive to maintain a Formula One grade racetrack. Great point. And for some of these hosts, they need to be hosting a profitable race year over year to continue to invest in the infrastructure. And if I'm if I'm Hockenheim and Formula One saying, hey, we can get you on this alternating agreement, but you need to invest $50 million in your track to bring it up to Formula One standards, that's going to be a really tough sell because I'm not extracting any value out of that track because I'm only hosting that one Formula One Grand Prix. Now, that said... I'm confident that there are tracks that will sign up to this. It might not be Hockenheim. It might not be the Nürburgring. It might not be Malaysia, but it could be Paul Ricard. There could be tracks out there that are willing to do this. And if they are, so be it. That's great. But I do agree that there are certain tracks that need to be absolute staples on the calendar. Totally. None of us enjoy Monaco, the racing but I think we all agree that that's a staple and the British Grand Prix needs to be a staple and that there's several other of them. But I don't think that the alternating model works for every track. But for those that it does, all the power to you. Perfect. OK, let's take a quick break here when we come back on the other side. Uh, this one, uh, I think, is an interesting uh, discussion that we're going to have. And it's uh, just the, the the whole conversation around overtaking. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, welcome back. And Mark, Mark, and Vincenzo here once again. Before we get back into the conversation, let's just uh, remind ourselves: after one race, the uh, the top five positions in the uh, 2020, uh, 2022, pardon me, Formula One World Championship driver standings. Uh, number one is Charles Leclerc with uh, from Ferrari, twenty six points, followed by his teammate Carlos Sainz with eighteen points, Lewis Hamilton. 
third in the championship with 15 points, followed by his teammate George Russell with 12 points, and then K-Mag from Haas. Yes, no, that uh, I did not misspeak there. K-Mag is currently fifth in world championship uh, for Haas with uh, 10 points. Over on the constructor side, let's just do the uh, the, the top three. Uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Haas uh, with the top three uh, positions. Ferrari have 44 points, Mercedes 27, and Haas a very healthy looking 10 points. So as I hinted at, well, I didn't hint at, I said it flat out uh, before the, uh, the, the the break there, that uh, there's been some discussion and the BBC had an article uh, today about uh, overtaking and new uh, overtaking rules. But Fernando Alonso at all of, what is he now, 89 years old, said that uh, despite <laughs> the new 2020, or 2022 rules uh, overtaking in Formula One is still difficult, which is you know an interesting uh, comment. Um, Fernando had to say, "Quote: Following was definitely easier. We spotted already in the test that it's easier to follow cars, but overtaking is still not as easy as it seems on TV. I think that all the overtaking we saw today was was because one car had two seconds more pace on newer tires than other. I met cars that were two seconds faster than I and overtook a, in a few corners, and I also met cars that were two seconds faster than me and they overtook me in two." or three corners i think the tires the biggest uh differentiating factor still not the following so you will need to, to see we need to drive more races end quote i don't know what uh, what would you guys think but i think the uh the, the key takeaway in that uh, statement from uh, fernando is the very last uh, sentence when he says uh we need to see we need to drive more races i mean it, it's hard one it's way too it's too early 100 percent it's too yeah, early it's, it's too early and i think we need to remember as well we were excited about the outcome of bahrain just because we saw the battle with Max and Charles Leclerc and Charles was clearly toying with Max and that's now established fact that's not just an observation that we had but it's too early and I think we need to remember as well that we often see overtaking at Bahrain and it's actually quite a racy racetrack but I think what we need to do is start developing some evidence over the course of multiple Grand Prix. It's, yeah. just, it's a little bit too early. <clears throat> it is interesting to hear the feedback of the drivers like, hey, it's easy to get close. It's not necessarily easy to overtake. And then we need to remember, too, that some of the advantages that these cars had last year, things like DRS, are massively underdeveloped relative to what we've seen in the past that DRS is still present is just significantly less potent than it was previously. So drivers need to adjust to things like that. And the drivers are also still adjusting to the entirely new compound on the tires and the 18 inch wheel. So I think the point being Mark, just like you mentioned, we just need a little bit more time to determine if the 2022 rules are working or they're not. It's not, it's, it's too soon to draw a conclusion one way or the other. Okay. So why don't we uh, take this a, a little bit further because I don't have anything to Add to those uh, comments. I, I think that uh, both you and Fernando, so you're in good company, Mark, uh, have nailed it. Uh, we need a bigger sample set of races before we can make a past judgment on that. But Mark, you kicked off this uh, conversation the three of us were having online a little earlier today, and this comes care of uh, Andrew Benson, the chief F1 writer for the BBC. And this is uh, basically his commentary on, I guess, what you could call like a leaked document because this has been circulated throughout the teams. And this is basically the driving standards that they've been given for, for 2022. The one thing I liked uh, prior to Bahrain was that they came out and flat out said, this year track limits are between the two white lines, every corner on every track, all the way around from start to finish. There's none of this sort of in-between kind of gray area. But uh, this uh, article from Andrew takes it, um, you know, a step further, talks about, you know, what they're expecting, what the standards are if you pass on the inside, when you pass on the outside, you know, what the expectations are for the drivers. 
I, you know, obviously, I think that if this comes from a source like the BBC, that this is uh, legit. I don't, I don't think that this is, uh, you know, clickbait by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Not, nor am I insinuating anything, but. I think that there's some some very, very interesting takeaways from this. And my initial reaction was that they're trying to avoid, let's say, promoting any clones of Max Verstappen's and his uh, his driving style. Do you think that's a fair comment, Mark? Yeah, I think this is this is good. And to be fair, it was actually one of our listeners. And I'm just trying to make sure I can reference the right person or credit the right person that sent this link and said, hey, this is something we should all be talking a lot more about because one of the biggest aggravations I think last year watching Formula One Grand Prix racing was just the confusion and the ambiguity about how track limits were being called and how overtakes were being called. So did he get him in the corner? Did he push him off? Did he have the line? Was he half a car length ahead? I think there was a lot of confusion. And then I think what compounded that last year was simply the fact that the, the stewards were so inconsistent in the way that they were calling everything regulating the way that we race in formula one and we would see certain races where for the first half of the race they would not call track limits and then they would shift and they would call track limits in the back half of the race or we would go races where they weren't being strictly enforced so i think what the fia and i think what formula one are trying to do here is trying to strengthen our understanding of the way that the racing should be called but all of this will be meaningless if the stewards don't actually execute on these expectations. Mm. So I think it's good. It's absolutely for me because it was one of the things that I was confused with by the end of last season. If they don't execute and we don't see consistent uh, race calling, then all of this will be for, for nothing. Yeah. Vincenzo, your thoughts. I mean, I, I punt to Hamilton on that one. It's (laughs) if you're not consistent, what's the point of any, you know, of any of this. And I, uh, and that's become, that's really become what we're talking about every, you know, almost every week. Yes, like, okay, exactly. You, you, you called it here. You didn't call it here. You called it on this driver. You didn't, you call it on this lap. You didn't call it another lap. Where's the consist? Again, it, it, it just, it's almost like take the human element out. It's like, just check a box. It's, it's ones and zeros. Did it happen? Yes. Okay. Did it not happen? No. Okay. That's all. So I, everything Hamilton said, I, I agree with it. You just have to have that level of consistency or else we're always left kind of. And the drivers, the drivers are left scratching their head as well. And we heard a lot of that over the radios this past weekend. Well, dude, so yeah. I 100% agree. And we, we would hear that last year from the drivers themselves being interviewed in the paddock after the race, that they were confused about how all of these different things were being called. And shout out, by the way, shout out Dave Brown. Uh, he linked me to this article from Andrew Benson on Twitter. He also asked a question that I, I'm not pro- really emotionally prepared to get into, uh, but he's like, would love to hear you guys run the rules over one or two big incidents from last year, Silverstone and Monza to see how they would have played out. So, hey, how would those moments have been called out with the application of the newly defined rule set? I'm probably not emotionally ready to go <laughs> there yet, but I think the hope is speaking to Generation DTS that, to be fair, you were probably all as equally as confused as the three of us. And yeah. we have been watching Formula One racing for a combined 90 years. So I think the hope is let's better define what it means to officiate a race. And then let's make sure that the stewards are actually executing on that every single Grand Prix, every single qualifying session. Because we even saw a little bit of ambiguity last race, right? Like we saw some instances where track yep. limits weren't being called in qualifying. And right away, people were panicking. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, be consistent to, w- with the stuff that should be easy, right? I mean, track limits, keep it between the the, the the white lines. That just seems like a bit of a slam dunk to me, right? And I mean, if I, if I can draw some parallels here, I mean, like the, in, enforcing track limits should be like a pretty like black and white call. Like it is, uh, you know, like you get a guy, your, your hands up in a guy's face. It's a face mask, right? Whereas these or, things- or you're out of bounds, right? You step out of bounds, it's, it's out of bounds. Exactly. Ends, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, or yeah, yeah, that, that's probably- I mean, an even better comparison but you know the the thing is when it comes to like the overtaking and maybe uh drawing those or maybe looking at those incidents at like silverstone and monaco i mean when it comes to say like uh, pi calls in football i mean that that sometimes takes a little bit more judgment you know you maybe the the, the officials have to take a look at it in different angles to see okay you know was that pass interference was it you know sometimes it's obvious sometimes it's not quite so obvious and i think sometimes the same when it comes to, to overtakes in, in formula one I, I think that you know if you look at the the way that this is worded in that uh, article from Andrew Benson especially the um you know the the the, uh, the the Monza incident I mean I think it's pretty obvious that Max saying well I had the corner but you know if you look at the way it's written there it's like uh, yeah no you didn't and also the same way if you take the way that Max really overshot that turn for at Brazil yeah that's not you know that's not expected uh, you know that that doesn't jive with the the, the expected driving standards uh, also right so you know I- again it comes down down to um, you know what they're going to enforce is just decide on something. We're going to call it this way because reasons, and then enforce it all season long. Not the this the, this constantly evolving thing, or like we had last year with like track limits and everybody's scratching their heads from people at home to the guys calling it on TV to the people in the paddock and the drivers in the cars because nobody wins in that situation, and the sport just ends up looking bush, right? All right. Well, you know, not hearing any more discussion on that. Let's go to the next one. Oh, that's can, can right. I can oh. I talk about Lawrence Stroll, please? Oh, that, please, that's perfect please. because that's exactly Stroll? where I was going to go next. <laughs> so, <laughs> why did you take it here, Mark? So, let, I think I think for the sake of humility, and I think the three of us are going to need to come up with some sort of vision statement and some values for the show going forward to rally around. But I think speaking quite humbly we have bowed at the statue of lawrence stroll and absolutely lavished him with praise and credit we've been very gracious let's say we've been very gracious (laughs) i now believe we can probably start openly challenging the way that he is operating his formula one team and to a lesser extent his road car team For me, it is this, you know, 2018, that team is in absolute administrative crisis. It cannot pay its bills. Fortunately, Lawrence Stroll swoops in and he saves the entire operation. 2019, it's a pretty strong performance. 2020 weakens dramatically. 2021, it's a total disaster. But the good news is, as you're going through this really challenging period of growth, and and flex and transition you've got something good to look forward to and that thing you've got to look forward to is 2022 when like every other team on the grid you have the opportunity to bring a brand new car to the grid and let's remember 2021's aston martin was the 2020 racing point which was itself a disguised 2019 racing point which itself was a 2018 racing point what they were driving was an amalgamation of a whole bunch of stuff and stolen mercedes designs let's call a duck a duck this was the year where you could clean the slate off and start over. You have a young driver in Lance Stroll who has a hundred Grand Prix despite being just 23 years old. And you have Sebastian Vettel, a four times world champion. And they look 
horrendous. Mm. And I think what's starting to happen, and this is what's being reported, is Lawrence Stroll, as the team struggles more and more and more, is beginning to micromanage the group tighter and tighter and tighter. And we read that quote last week where Otmar had said, you know what, you can't have two popes. But furthermore, our previous owner would only come to the factory four times a year, alluding to the fact that Lawrence was deeply involved in the day-to-day operation of the team. So Lawrence has always said, you know what, I surround myself with good people and have a little bit of luck. I don't know that he's A, surrounded himself with good people, and he's clearly having no luck. And I think for those of us that have watched Formula One for many years, Otmar was an absolute, I was going to call him a genie. I don't know if that's the right word, but he was a genius when it came to operating a tiny team on a tiny budget. He was the one doing the salesmanship. He was the one bringing in the sponsors. He was the one developing the drivers. He was the one overseeing the development of the car. And he was doing it in an antiquated factory with 400 people. They pour in the resources. Lawrence gets involved and magically, poof. Martin Whitmarsh comes in and Otmar is gone. Mm. And Martin Whitmarsh, you only need to Google his name to understand how how much controversy has surrounded him everywhere he's gone. Spygate at McLaren, Martin's in the middle of it. Liargate at McLaren, Martin's in the middle of it. And countless other examples. There are books that document his really questionable managerial skills. But Lawrence decided to bring him in principally at the expense of Otmar. So Otmar's out. And then on top of it, they bring in Mike. I don't know enough about Mike Crack, but they bring in Mike Crack to oversee the development of the car. And to be fair, the car that he's inherited, the AMR 22, has clearly been in progress for some time. I can't assign all the blame to him, but I'm not particularly confident in a first-time team principal to take over this project at at Aston Martin. Mm -hmm. And if they have really got the car wrong as badly as they have, they almost need to reset and start with an AMR 22B because this car appears, and again, we're one race in, to be fundamentally broken. So my point being, we've been very gracious and we've given Lawrence a ton of credit, but I think it's fair to now start questioning that we're now in that new era that you're building, building, building towards, and the car looks horrendous. And there's reports that he's tightening his grip on the management of that team and he's present in every single technical meeting. It's not a good look. It's not a good look for the team. And I think for those of us like you and me, Mark, who are hugely, hugely pro Aston Martin last year, it's deeply disappointing that this team wasn't able to to bring a better car to the track. And you have to wonder now, when do the questions start swirling about Seb's departure? Because if this team's going to be as uncompetitive as we expect it to be, there's no way he's going to sign up for this next year. And then the questions will start to come out. How hungry is Lance Stroll? And how much appetite does he have to work through this process? And of course, he's going to have some because this is his dad's team. But the better question will be, should he even be racing for this team? Which is a question I've never wanted to ask before. But now I'm going to start asking, do we need a completely clean slate at Aston Martin? Because as somebody that was a big fan of that project, I'm now deeply concerned. Yeah. Well, th- this uh, conversation is going to run a little while longer. So let's pay a couple of bills. We'll pick it up on the flip, uh, flip side because there's a tons more. There, There's former uh, Formula One drivers that are weighing in on this exact uh, topic. So we'll talk about that in a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, well, welcome back uh, to the podcast is all up to speed with Formula One. Mark, Mark and Vincenzo here. We're talking about Aston Martin right now. So Mark, I think you set the the, the stage nicely. Uh, so Vincenzo, a couple of former uh, racing drivers that have uh, spoken up on this topic is uh, Ralph Schumacher. He drew parallels, uh, like precise parallels between what's happening at Aston Martin and Toyota, which is one of the teams that Ralph um, raced for. If you're wondering why or you know, Toyota does not look familiar when it comes to Formula One, because they kind of botched it. They're not in Formula One uh, anymore. Uh, Ralph uh, described that as, uh, you know, he described it as a bulldozer situation or a method where they come in, basically blow up everything, throw a ton of money on it, bring in a bunch of big names, but it doesn't necessarily translate uh, to success. Uh, Gerhard Berger, which, uh, you know, Vincenzo's probably very, you know, familiar with because former, former, not former, former, but a former Ferrari driver says that uh, he doesn't see a way forward for Aston Martin under the uh, the, the principalship, if that's a, a word of Mike Crack, uh, basically based on uh, what he did with the BMW and their record in, in DTM. So that's not exactly a, a ringing endorsement from a couple of guys that had fairly successful Grand Prix careers. Yeah, I, I mean... It, that just sounds like a disaster brewing right now over at Aston Martin. Um, and, and you know what? The fact that they have a driver who's the owner's uh, son it, is not going to help any of this, right? Because we already didn't really like that to begin with um, and questioned. I know maybe you guys didn't question Stroll's abilities, but, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of well, people may have you know, questions. To jump in though, Vincenzo, and then I'll let you pick it back up. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. the longer that it, it 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 struggles, and the more that Lance struggles, I mean, those you know th- those questions are just going to come up, and they're going to get worse and worse sure. and worse. I mean, you know, Mark even mentioned it just now that uh, you know that'll be like um, that'll just you know that will just really ferment and just uh, grow all the time. You know, just you know, like sure. what is his motivations for being there? Is he he there solely because his dad you know is basically paying for his way in? formula one now or you know what what happened I mean, to his talent right? shot yeah 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 so I sorry think, pick it back up there no i was gonna say he doesn't have a i, I don't see stroll having a, another seat anywhere else um so your point right there is totally valid but you know going back to you know mark was talking a little bit about lawrence now getting involved in technical meetings and whatnot i, I can't even imagine being a new team principal, you know, not having been in Formula One yeah, before, totally. And now you've got your. So I'm not. I'm not letting crack off the hook. But I also, you know, what do Berger and and Schumacher know? Uh, other than Crack's record elsewhere, I don't want to get. I don't want to put all the blame on him because if you've got, first of all, a new situation, new regu- Think about it. New regulations. Uh, you are a new team principal. You have a driver that is, uh, you know, the the son of the owner. You have another driver who's a former world champion, but hasn't really shown much in the last few years to say that he's got it. Um, I don't know if anyone's going to question Sebastian's drive, but like, whatever. I I don't think it's there. Um, You've got all this happening. So how much do you want to put on crack and say, oh, this is your fault? I think he's, I 
believe that he may have been brought in as a potential scapegoat for all this this whole situation. Um, and, and it's really it's culminating very quickly this season. And if if this if this is what the situation truly is, and this happens all season, I mean that that's going to be an absolute disaster for the rest of the year. They're dealing with issues with the car as it is. Um, so many questions about the Mercedes power unit being underpowered that they use. Like that's a whole issue in and of itself. I just I don't see this getting better. I, like it's just like it's one of the work. Okay, you've got the Mercedes team right who they've got issues with the car and whatnot, but you've got drivers that are not compounding it. You don't have a team principal and owners that are compounding this issue at Aston Martin. You've got everyone just compounding these issues like that. It actually kind of like freaks me out just talking about it because <laughs> they were so damn they were they were looking promising. Right. And now you're like, oh, God. Um, but yeah, th- this is one of those situations that won't get better. I think the Toyota the Toyota parallel is spot on. <laughs> So Mark on. and they were and they were and they're gone. We, you'll never see Toyota ever again in Formula yeah, One. Yeah, right? they'll they'll never clear. come back. We're never coming back. Um, I think that's what could be headed. But hey, you know what? We've got plenty of opportunities for other teams or other companies to buy themselves a nice Formula One team. <laughs> I think that's where we're headed. <laughs> Who knows, right? But Mark um, Gerhard Berger actually said that Mike Crack did not impress him, and he said more specifically, uh, "quote Let's see what can be done because uh, what I watch when uh, what was done in DTM, I just don't see a way forward for Aston Martin with him. And all the years that I've been there now, BMW has never uh, been really consistently competitive. You could see always they'd be on the starting grid in a good position one day, and then they didn't know why where they are today. And then the next day, they've been in the the end of the grid and they didn't know why they were at the end of the grid when you watch it and you see this is over a longer period you question the people behind it and he was leading at the project and this is dtm dtm is great but f1 is a different league here you need to be the best in the world i just don't see this sorry i was a bit direct but somebody just asked me that is my opinion end quote so gerhard tell us how you really feel <laughs> yeah so one thing i'll add to this and you know what here i'm gonna pour you both a little bit of tea have some tea both of you but uh Gerhard Berger and Mike Crack have some long personal history. Yeah, and it stems just back to something, <laughs> something DTM related. And I'm not, I'm not going to get into the specifics because, again, I've only ever heard it offhand, off the cuff. But I understand that there's some deep resentment between the two of them due to the way that Berger's nephew may have been treated on a BMW DTM team at one point. So. So I, I, I have a feeling that some of this slander might be motivated from that previous uh, that previous moment in time. Yeah, it, it's interesting, but uh, you know, it, it is a very concerning and sad situation what what we're seeing at Aston Martin. And I was, you know, honestly quite shocked to see how far they were. You know, not getting out of Q one. I mean, you got to give Hulkenberg a bit of slack because you know he was filling in at the last moment uh, for Sebastian Vettel, who was out with COVID. And Hulk and hasn't he's been in the back co- this weekend, man. He's back this weekend. Yeah, well, that that's interesting. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that uh, the the Grand Prix that's coming up in a couple of days before the end of the show, but. You know, so you you could expect that he would struggle. I mean, you know, not having any time in the car and testing and, you know, just not really being in race shape, you know, not having been in a car in a couple of years. And the last time he was in a car, he was filling in when other drivers had COVID. So, I mean, he's not really, you know, anything that you get out of him is going to be a bonus. I mean, uh, should he have uh, made it out of Q1 into Q2 or Q3 or scored points in the race or didn't score points in the race? 
anything that you get out of him that's an amazing result is just going to be you, you you get what you take or you, you you take what you can get from from him so sorry go ahead mark no i was just going to say i think it's probably appropriate and i know vincenzo you didn't bring this up and i should have brought it up earlier um whole credit in the world to nico for out qualifying stroll yeah in that that q1 because let's be very honest like you just hit it stroll was in that car for the winter shakedown he was in that test for winter testing or that car for winter testing and then he was in the car for free practice one two and three he had infinitely more experience with that chassis those tires and that power unit than hulkenberg did so for hulkenberg to come in and out qualify him is a stunning stunning window into where stroll is performance wise right now yeah, absolutely. Hey, why, why don't we move away this uh, topic and uh, before we hit the next break, let's talk about something. We, we got to give uh, Vincenzo a bit of a pick me up, uh, considering it's been a bit of a, r- a rough day from uh, you know for for him. I love it. But uh, anyways, if uh, you listen to some of the, the the rumors out there and some of the stories, but uh, apparently and supposedly Ferrari and Carlos Sainz are getting close to terms on a contract extension. Yeah, do you like this one, Vincenzo? I love it. I mean, I think it. I don't think Mick's ready, and if if ultimately Mick is the the next guy at at Ferrari, then then great. But how, how do you not lock up a guy like Carlos, who's been so steady from the minute he sat in that car? Um, you know, last year, longest point streak. Uh, came in and and. and Really, I want to say almost didn't put a foot wrong the entire year, um, and, and he beat his he beat Leclerc last year, so that was nice. And in a clearly inferior car than the others on the on the grid, so that to me showed a lot. He's been super, he's been very mature. I think he brings a great energy to the team. Um, he seems to get along very very well with Leclerc and Binotto. Again, from what it seems like, they've got a great relationship across the board. He's also got a great, he's also seems to have a a great reputation amongst other drivers, right? Both of the Ferrari drivers do. And when you get that balance between two drivers, you don't want to split it up. So I would love to see him in here long term. Um, And if the success continues, like, I don't, I would never, I don't want them to, you know, break up with them at all. I love this team. Like, I, this is the best I felt about. A, you know, our two drivers in a long, long time. Um, it seems like the egos are in check. We did talk about this a couple weeks ago, maybe. Like so, far, so far, <laughs> so far, so far, so good. If they're fighting for this one, two, we're going to see how it changes. I, Carlos did say he was disappointed. He thought he could have done better. Mm-hmm. He seemed a little defeated. But I mean, who who's not going to feel that way, right? If you're being, if you're getting beaten by your teammate who has the exact same equipment as you, any competitor is going to feel that way. So I kind of take that with a grain of salt. But I, I, I want to keep, listen, I, I want to keep this guy on board. I love the way they work together. Um, and I just love what I see from him off off the grid as well. It, it's it's perfect. Like, huh, I hate to use the word perfect, but these two are, are perfect right now for this Ferrari team. So, Mark, I, I'm going to toss up. Was it a can of corn? Is that, is that the phrase? I'm going to toss you a nice, easy one. I hope. And, and, and you know, saying that, it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult than that. But Carlos Sainz and as Vincenzo nicely said, uh, you know, last year they did, or the last couple of years, uh, in fact, they haven't had the greatest car. Kind of flew under the radar for for quite the season, but they did sneak into third in that constructors' championship. They finished strong. 
Do you agree that Carlos is one of, if not the most underrated driver of 2021? Do you think he flew under the radar last year? Sorry, I'm processing the question. Uh, it, it, it's a fair question, right? He, he enters the sport without a tremendous amount of fanfare, and then he bounces around amongst a bunch of teams that were contending to be midfield um, I would say midfield challengers. I would say relative to to Charles Leclerc, who's obviously been in the been in the spotlight because he's won a couple of Grand Prix coming into the season. Relative, obviously, to both of the Red Bull drivers who've won Grand Prix. Relative to both of the the Mercedes drivers who've won Grand Prix. Yeah, sure. And I think also he's always stayed out of trouble. There's rarely an on track incident. He's not particularly vocal off the track in terms of his his dislike or frustration with officiating or with other drivers. He doesn't do a lot to bring attention to him. I think I would be very, very cautious, though, that that chemistry that Vincenzo was alluding to, while it looked great last year, while they were significantly outperforming expectations and having a lot of fun doing it, they still weren't competing for race wins. Mm-hmm. I think the dynamic has fundamentally changed now, and they have all the expectations in the world, and prognosticators and analysts alike are predicting that they could win the championship. I think that chemistry could deteriorate quite quickly, and certainly not in the way that it did with Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel back in 2019, 2020, but I certainly don't think it's going to operate the way that it did because I think you make a great point, Vincenzo, that Carlos Sainz was a little bit down after that race because he looks at his teammate win that Grand Prix with the exact same hardware that he has, and he has to be thinking – if I was two tenths faster, three tenths faster in qualifying, maybe I qualify on pole and then maybe that's my race win. Or maybe he's looking at opportunities in that race where he could have made a lunge or could have got closed that gap to his teammate. All of that aside, I still think it's a fantastic driver pairing. I think if I'm any team principal in the sport, I'm ecstatic to having both of them. And then the other thing you got to consider too is Charles Leclerc signed that multi three-year deal a couple of years ago. He's under contract through 2024. Sorry, that was a three-year extension. He's only making $12 million a year. So I can't imagine that they're going to pay Carlos Sainz a lot more than that. So they just have the most team friend. I keep saying this as if there's a salary cap or a collective <laughs> bargaining agreement, but they have incredibly team friendly driver contracts. Lock totally. them up as long as you can, because I'm not necessarily sure who else you're going to bring in, unless, as Vincenzo said, eventually maybe it's MSC. I mean, the, 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 sorry, go ahead, Vincenzo. I would, I was going to say, like the dynamic on the grid. If you look at some of the other teams, Mercedes has a seven-time world champion and an aspiring potential world champion, right? In, in yeah. George Russell, who's never won a race before. Correct. He's never won a formula one race before. Um, you've got, uh, let's see, McLaren with Daniel Ricardo, who's, you know, never really amounted. I, I like Ricardo. I just, you know, he's never been this big world beater. He's got a big personality. You've got Lando. That's kind of snarky. Then you've got uh, <laughs> Red Bull. You've got Red Bull with with kind of that same dynamic. You've got this guy who's bigger than the sport. They're stopping, and you've got Perez who, who who's kind of plays second fiddle. Um, Alfa Romeo's, you know, same situation. You've got a rookie with a with a, a guy who's been on a uh, five constructor championship teams. Um, when you when you look at those dynamics, Ferrari doesn't have that at all, right? That there's that situation doesn't exist with them right now. Um, arguably Leclerc is, is, is has more 
fanfare than than signs. Um, but still, they don't have that necessarily that that dynamic. So I I think and I hope and I and I kind of wish and pray and I know these are all you know like oh please please pray to the Ferrari gods. <laughs> um, I I I would think that the two of them together, at least for this season, and let's say one of them does win the championship, at least that dynamic up until that whichever one of them wins first. Mm-hmm. Uh, remains intact, right? After that, now one of you is always playing catch up. Right now, they're still kind of on level, like level ground, um, until one of them gets that that victory. I mean, Carlos still needs to win a race, which I, I hope he pulls that off at some point soon. Um, but yeah, that dynamic I think doesn't change until one of them wins a, a World Drivers Championship. Yeah, you know, the, the the way that I see it is that um, Carlos, I think he's he's saying the right things that he's disappointed. He thinks, you know, he left a little bit or a lot out on the track or whatever. He, he definitely feels like he could have done more, right? And the, the thing is, I think that um, that relationship will stay like that for the time being until, I, I mean, let's face it, Charles is the man. He's he's undisputed number one at Ferrari. He, he went in there. He took that. Beautiful. I mean, he he didn't just kind of slide into that. He took that spot and pulled it out away from Sebastian Vettel and made that, you know, made him the number one guy. So until, you know, Carlos can consistently beat Charles Leclerc, I mean, I, I don't want to say he's, you know, second fiddle because, you know, that's kind of going to like a, a negative uh, connotation to it. But let's just say he's the one that has more to prove, I think, to, to I mean, he's established in the team, but I think it's clearly Charles's team and and Carlos, if, you know, I, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're Charles and maybe you're not coming out and saying it because, you know, like at least publicly, it looks like they get along very well together. But it'd be like, okay, you think you can do better? Come on, beat me. You know, you know, prove it. Do your talking sure. on the track. Sure. Mark, what do you think? I agree. <laughs> A man of many words. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I'm you, done with... I'm, I'm done with the Ferrari topic. I'm looking forward. <laughs> right, yeah, here we were, like at the beginning of the show. I was feeling bad because me and Vincenzo were, like went off and talked soccer for like five minutes and left you out of the conversation. Now I feel bad that we dragged you back into it. Throw. I don't need to be tossed a, so- a softball. <laughs> All right, good enough. Let's take one final break. When we come back, let's talk about uh, Jeddah. Let's talk about the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix coming up uh, just in a matter of hours. FP1. Coming up uh, just uh, hours from now, we'll talk about it in just a moment, so don't go away. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And yes, the second Saudi Arabian Grand Prix goes this weekend at Jeddah. It's going to be a little bit hard to make comps compared to, to last year because there is so many changes that they've had to make to make the track better. So let's that that's obviously going to be a one talking uh, point. So 50 lap race. It's a fairly long uh, lap. It's 6.17 kilometers. The lap record that was set by Lewis last year was a 130.734. And, well, let, what else uh, do, do we know about it? Uh, Pirelli is bringing their mid-range tires, C2 hard, C3 medium, C4 softs. I guess the, the, the big talking point, at least at the moment, was just the fact that it was a, a very dramatic race last year. I mean, we'll take away the, uh, you know, Max allegedly brake testing Lewis or Lewis just driving straight up the back of Max. That was just... Another one of those incidents between those two guys that uh, was a season full of incidents, right? So uh, just in general, we saw a lot of action on the track just due to the nature of the track itself. I mean, the drivers were saying they, you know, although it was very fast, that uh, the, the way that there were so many blind corners that they, they wouldn't know if it's something happened on the road in front of them until they were literally right on top of it. So Mark, why don't we take exactly. that first and uh, let, let's just talk about the, the, the changes to the track itself. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that what you're going to see on your TV come this Sunday won't be fundamentally different than what we saw just three and a half months ago but i think it's going to be a dramatically different experience for the drivers and i think when we got to jetta last year one of the things that concerned me is one it's extraordinarily fast it's an extraordinarily fast track but the feedback from the drivers immediately was that there isn't or wasn't a ton of visibility so knowing that and understanding how tight it was and really listening to drivers like george russell who was very very vocal about the perception of a lack of safety on this track, they have made a very significant number of changes amongst them. And I'm just going to quickly read through these. <laughs> it's turns a big list. Three, which, yeah, turns two and three, the left-hand side barriers have been moved back to improve visibility from turn two to two and turn four. <clears throat> so these are some, it's a relatively high speed apex. They've spread it out to open up visibility. So it's a little bit easier to see what's coming ahead of you. The turn four apex, a smooth face has been added to the concrete barriers. Turn 14 apex, the barriers have been moved back approximately one and a half meters to improve visibility. So that's about four and a half, five feet, which isn't an insignificant amount. Turn 16 apex, a smooth face has been added to the concrete barriers. Turn 21 apex, the barriers have been moved back approximately one and a half meters again, pushing them back five meters to open up a little bit more space, create a little bit more give for errors and to create better visibility for the drivers when they're navigating the track. Turn 22 apex, smooth face has been added. Turn 24, smooth face has been added. And then the exit of turn 27, which is the final turn before you come into the long straight for the start finish line, the track has been widened to 12 meters. Saudi Motorsport That's Company a lot. CEO, and I'm quoting motorsport.com here, Saudi Motorsport Company CEO Martin Whitaker said in Bahrain that the changes could make the fastest street track on the calendar even quicker hmm. with a possible average speed for Poland qualifying last year already coming in at a stunning, and this is the average, coming in at a stunning 157 miles per hour. So some significant changes, which is fantastic based on the feedback from the drivers. And we also know that these investments won't be short term because we now expect the Saudi Grand Prix to remain at Jeddah until at least the end of 2025 mm. because it's going to take some time to build the permanent, the quote unquote 
permanent track in Kadia outside of Riyadh. You know, it's interesting. I mean, those couple of changes just at turn 14 and 21, 1.5 meters, that's that's only five feet. You know, that's, you know, I, I mean, it's significant, but it's not huge. But I mean, that final turn, like you say, at turn 27, when they come back around and then go back to start finish there, that's 12 meters. That's almost 40 feet. That's a lot of real estate that uh, that they're adding to that track there to make that, uh, that, that change. Vincenzo, what, what, what's your gut feeling? Do you think this is going to help or do you think it's too too early to tell or is it going to are we going to see more of the same mayhem that we basically saw from green light to checkered flag and only what three and a half months ago yeah i mean something we didn't mention is the fact that you know the the track we're racing at a different time of year also oh great point so you know like that's something that we might want to think about um are we the drivers i'm sure they're all considering all this um but yeah, with with the changes made, you know, they listened to the drivers. They 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 took all a lot of that into consideration. I think the reason why it'll be quicker is more confidence now, right? Having the having the confidence to to see around these corners. I think it's the two, three, uh, four. Yep. Yep. You know, having having confidence there, having confidence to whip around twenty seven to get down that straight. Um, you know, you, I, again, we have to look at telemetry this year and compare it to last year, but you may see some more confidence, um, you know, get on, get on it a little quicker. That's going to definitely increase speeds. I, I still think this, this track is going to cause craziness like you did last year, um, just simply because it's a street track and it is so damn fast. Uh, and anytime you increase the speeds, you know, we, we we know what's going to happen with these drivers, young drivers, new cars. We're going to tr- we're going to I think we'll get a good test at this track to see how following closely wheel to wheel are the cars actually, but, you know, are they equipped to handle this? Like we may get to see that this uh, this weekend on this track, but it'll, it'll be exciting. And I know they didn't make all the changes, I believe. I, I don't think all the changes were made, but but the ones they did. Um, I'm really going to look to see if if that increases confidence in what these drivers do. And we'll see it in a couple hours. I mean, when FP1 starts in like, what, five hours or so? Something like that. We'll, it's, it's literally we'll, yeah, right we'll around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, Vincenzo, just, I think you make a sorry, great point that, sorry, I was just going to add one quick thing, buddy. Um, I think that you make a great point in the sense that this is probably going to be a much better test of mm-hmm. the actual passing capability of these cars. Like, especially if you look at some of the sequences, turns four through 10, 13, yep. 14 through 18, 22 through 24. I think that's probably where I will be actively looking. Like we we know that the long straights on this track are going to benefit certain cars. DRS mm-hmm. is going to be less amplified this year. We know which cars are probably going to do well on those straights, but I'll be very curious to see how cars are able to navigate some of these tighter sections although they've been widened but i'm going to be very curious to see i think the other thing too is i think that the drivers at least through free practice and qualifying last year were being a little bit more cautious than they normally would be Mm -hmm. simply because of the lack of familiarity with the track the other point we talked about this last week too is the aggregate on the service is vastly different Mm -hmm. back rate is ultra ultra tough it tears those tires to pieces i wouldn't expect to see the same degree of tire wear and while just while we're on the topic of saudi i really need to call out one of our listeners who's actually in Jeddah right now oh cool she was sending me video footage from the paddock she was doing the paddock walk she was doing she was doing the garage walk today nabila 
Thank you so much for constantly sending updates and information. Nabila has actually offered to send a souvenir to her favorite host of the show, which is, of course, me. So, Nabila, <laughs> so Nabila, thank you so much for that souvenir that's coming in. And please continue to feed us some great, great content because we'll make sure to share it. But Nabila is in every Spaces chat. Um, she's constantly providing us great information. And as it turns out, we've got two great listeners from from Jeddah because we have Ahmed, our friend from Toronto as well. But uh, Nabila, I just wanted to give you a shout out and I hope you enjoy the Grand Prix this weekend and please keep sending us photos and videos so we can all share them. Now, Mark, we, we all know that... Some... Sorry, Vincenzo, I was just going to say no. that uh, th we all know that uh, Mark is everybody's favorite host on the show, but I, I couldn't help but know that that little smirk and eye roll uh, there, 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 Vincenzo, but <laughs> it's all, <laughs> it's all yeah. good. <laughs> well, we know Daly's the favorite, so... Um... See, well, that's the thing. You yeah, got to change. You got to. She may have legit thought she was talking to Daily. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, that's why you got to change your name to Mark because then you can uh, at, at the same time you can be the, the 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 most loved and hated host at the same time and everything else. You know, it's just you, you yeah. never know who they're talking oh, I about. Love Mark. So. <laughs> oh yeah, I really love Mark. Oh, oh, I yeah, hate Mark. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's it's also interesting too. Yeah. Just to judging by the tone, you know exactly which Mark they're talking about, which <laughs> which is the yeah. funny yeah. part, <laughs> <laughs> or how loud they're saying. Exactly. <laughs> You know, but uh, before we talk about it uh, or the, the race itself, I mean, uh, just uh, one comment just about the lap times. Um, again, like you were saying, both of you, that uh, last year the track was new. They were uh, feeling out when they were there and practice and qualifying in the race. Lewis's pole time was a 127.511. So it'll be interesting to see with, hey, now, now they got familiarity with the track, with the new cars. How does that uh, time stand up? Uh, does it fall? Does it stay the same? Does it, does, does it increase? Are we seeing times slower than 120? 27 and a half and then uh, like i said the, the 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 fastest lap of the race also set by lewis was 130.734 so it'll be interesting to see how that uh, you know kind of compares and then the podium uh connie in the live chat was saying that this is going to be another damage limitation uh, weekend for, for for mercedes i mean last year very familiar podium lewis max and uh, and bottas on the podium this weekend who knows you know until we kind of find that equilibrium here after you know maybe a couple of races you know, is Ferrari legit? Does uh, Mercedes uh, turn it around? We don't yet know yet. We only have one race in the bag. Maybe after this uh, weekend, we have a, a bit of a, a better uh, feel of it. But also, there's there's a big question here, guys. There, there's a legit security concern that this uh, race may not happen. Uh, apparently, according to Reuters, uh, that uh, there was a you know a, what they called a hostile air target that was aimed towards the city of Jeddah and that was intercepted and and, and shot down. So that is a very 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 ominous and very scary and if um, you know the situation gets worse then that uh, the, the race could potentially be uh, canceled but uh, fingers crossed that uh, nothing worse happens because as we all know <laughs> we're dealing with enough there's enough problems in the world uh, today as it is mm -hmm. so anyhow mm -hmm. all right well i guess we've scary gotten stuff. Yeah, serious stuff. And, uh, you know, we all know that Formula One is a bit of escape uh, for, for most of us and, uh, you know, doesn't reflect all the, you know, the, the, the problems in the world. But, hey, you know, we, that's what we're here to talk about. And before we uh, shut it down for another night, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw it out to you guys. Mark, I'm going to put it to you first. What is your prediction for the race uh, this weekend? And then, uh, you know, I, I gave you an easier question uh, earlier, so, you know, supposedly. Now, now I'm going to put you on the hot seat first. And because uh, we know Vincenzo is picking three Ferrari drivers for the podium, even though they're only entering yep. two cars. But uh, we'll see how well, that I'm works out. They have four cars. 
cars. I don't well, technically, yeah. The, yeah. the white Ferrari is on the track. Too. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they, anyways, I'll let uh, Mark and Vincenzo, you guys uh, make your predictions first of all. And I've, I, I got to dig up a comment about Haas out of the live stream. So uh, while you guys uh, do that, I'll, I'll, I'll scroll through there. So Mark, go first, please. I, well, I think the first thing we know is that the the fuel the fuel system issue that Red Bull identified will not be a problem again this time. So the field, specifically Mercedes, will not be gifted with a double Red Bull DNF. So you have to think that Max is going to find his way onto the podium at this race, not unlike last year. I think the question will be, do both of the Ferraris find their way onto the podium? And does Sergio Perez find fight his way into that mix. And then again, I guess because it's a fundamentally different type of track than we saw um, last week in Bahrain, are the Mercs a little bit more racy? And what we don't know specifically are what upgrades all of these teams are bringing, right? Like we're still early in the season. A lot of the issues that the teams were struggling last weekend weren't new to them. They were issues that were identified during the shakedown and that were identified during winter testing. So a lot of the upgrades are in the pipeline and might be arriving. So the cars that we could see in a couple of hours from now going into the race weekend could be quite different than what we saw last weekend. So all of that to say, I, I would suspect that Max Verstappen will probably find a way his way onto the podium. I'm not as confident about I'm not as confident about Sergio Perez, but I would expect to see at least one Red Bull and one Ferrari on the podium this weekend, provided we can avoid any of the vehicular carnage that we saw last year yep. and the multiple restarts and the number of cars in the barriers. And hopefully we don't see them because I would assume that the changes that we described earlier should do a pretty good job of mitigating that kind of that kind of uh, disaster on track. Yeah, before I, I get to Vincenzo to give us uh, his prediction, I, I found the comment. So Connie said in the live chat, okay, I'm waiting for the segment where Mark begs for forgiveness from us Americans for throwing so much shade on Haas. So there, there you go. That was uh, that was a comment about that. And then the other one that uh, Connie mentioned that uh, made us uh, sort of stood out is says, Hey, it. Fernando is a lot younger than me. So now I feel bad for saying that Fernando was what, 89 years old? Because Connie... Obviously not more than 89 years old. Anyways, Vincenzo, your prediction for the race, sir? It's very hard to, first of all, of course, like Hamilton said, we can't predict crashes and other things like that. So assuming all goes well, I think we'll see a Red Bull on the podium. Um, I, Max Verstappen. Ideally, although I will say this, I think that Verstappen does have a, I think we might have a good chance of Max being overly aggressive this week. Uh, Possibly. Falling behind, right? Uh, like like he is now. Didn't score a point, DNF'd. Um, he sounded very frustrated. He sounded very frustrated last week with his outlap times and that he could have pushed it. Um, so a lot of... Listen, Max always does this, but you know a lot of the kind of pushing back on the team. I could have gone faster. Next time, I'm I'm just going to go faster. Um, so frustration may may creep in uh, on Max if he's overly aggressive in the car that I still don't think is set up for his driving style. I just don't think these cars are made for the way he wants to drive right now at this current time. Um, I think he, Max can podium at the same time. I think Max can be the first one to cause some sort of issue. So that, I'm going to leave that one out there. I do see Ferrari having at least one guy on the podium. 
I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna say which one because I I can't pick between the two. Um, but I I also think or I, I think K Mag may get on the podium this week as well. So I think oh that's a bold one. Ferrari, Red Bull, and K Mag because I, I love Schumacher, but I, I don't see I don't see him there yet. Um, it'll be an interesting race. It'll be an interesting race. I think that if you're overly aggressive, it's not going to bode well right now. Uh, you mentioned upgrades coming to the track and, and our, you know, what upgrades are we going to see? I don't think we see any upgrades right now. Both Haas and Ferrari, ironically, said they weren't. They're they're keeping the car dialed down right now, at, uh, and they're going to like gradually increase power and whatnot. Um, I don't think Mercedes had enough time to make upgrades. They probably made some adjustments. I don't see any massive upgrades for them until at least um, Australia. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mercedes in that kind of four, four to six range again, four, five, six, somewhere in there. They're, they're right on the cusp too, right? Like all they have to do is figure out a couple things, especially this porpoising issue that they're still having. We'll find out in eight hours, but it, it, once they dial that in, then I think kind of all bets are off. We've got six drivers legitimately that could be fighting for those, those podium spots every week. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna go with. A Ferrari, a Red Bull, and K Mag. So on the podium. Evolution uh consulting in the live chat is doubling down on your Hass uh, prediction and uh their comment is prediction. Hass goes all in, runs stupid low drag slash downforce set up, uh pulls a McLaren at Mons and win, uh wins K Mag goes ape, Ma- Nikita Mazepin goes straight into therapy. So there you go. <laughs> I think that falls into the co- category of right? yeah. We don't have we don't have someone like Mazepin on the on the what a difference too right like Mazepin in his first race last season first corner I think it's fun <laughs> by turn three yeah. right? or first corner or whatever it was first or second corner there yeah we see like who is asking this is a question I'm asking you and the audience that's listening and that will listen to the podcast who on the track on the grid do we have this year that is one of those like constant potential threats to crap out yeah great question i i, I, I don't think we, we we have a comparable uh driver this year that's no. why i think that if uh you know evolution consulting's prediction uh comes uh comes true that uh you know Haas wins it you know uh you know a one two that, that obviously falls yeah. under the category of the hottest of hot takes but uh if They're that did happen two, evolution <laughs> Then the Nikita Mazepin certainly goes straight into therapy because uh, that Absolutely. would be, uh, yeah. But uh, my, my prediction is I think we're going to see a combination of Red Bulls and Ferraris on the podium. You know, I, I just don't have a firm enough grip on the season yet to, to really say who and when. But I think, you know, obviously, uh, you know, when it comes to Red Bull, you know, you'd have to think that uh, barring anything that happens, like, uh, you know, any, any drama, you'd have to think uh, Max would be one of it. But that's why I was a little bit disappointed that uh, Perez, uh, you know, he had that uh, mechanical issue at that uh, time of the race there when he did, because I was really looking forward to seeing that rematch between himself and Lewis. I still think that uh, Mercedes need a little bit more time to dial that car in. And, and you know, I've, I've said it before that, you know, until proven otherwise, I mean, Mercedes over the years that whenever they've had a setback, despite this, you know, run of championships, both in the constructors and drivers that they've run off since 2014, whenever they've had those those patches, they've had some dry patches in between in the years, they've always been able to, to, to sort it out and come back uh, stronger. I think that may Maybe that they um, they're they're in a similar place right now. They they seem to be 
you know, they really feel that they have a really, really good car on their hands and they just haven't completely figured out, uh, you know, what the optimum setup is. And I mean, that's kind of ominous for, for everybody else on the grid. So if you're Red Bull, if you're Ferrari, you know, th- this is the time to, you know, to, uh, you know, cash in all those points, you know, while you have that advantage, because who knows, maybe Mercedes figured out this weekend or next weekend, or maybe it's three months from now, but, uh, well, you got that advantage uh, on them. You got to make it uh, count. But uh, anyways, do we think, do we think as a collective here, do we think that this year's world drivers championship, whoever it might be, Mm -hmm. do we think it'll be settled before the last race or maybe the last two races? Well, that that would be great to see it like extended because nothing kind of like, um, I wouldn't say ruins a season, but kind of really takes the shine off of it. If the world champion has decided three, four, five, six races out, I mean, we we've mm-hmm. seen that in, uh, in in past years. You know, like uh, that that the, the the season is decided, you know, weeks and months in sure. advance, and then you know the last uh, several couple races, whatever the case is, don't really mean anything. And the right. the, the broader perspective, you know, for the constructors maybe, and uh, other interesting storylines within the championships of the, the themselves. But I I'm hoping for it. You know, I, I would think it would be almost too good of a story if they uh, had it go down to the last race. Like, uh, but but I mean, it hasn't been too long since we saw it previously. I mean, sure, it was five years, but we saw the uh, the championship go down between Lewis and uh, Nico at uh, in twenty sixteen when it went down to the last race. And I mean, obviously, it wasn't quite as dramatic as bad as it was between Nico and Lewis over those years. That that last year, that was a different level that we saw that uh, you know rivalry between Max and Lewis. It just you know, got worse and worse as the, uh, the, the season went on. And obviously depending which camp you're in, you're going to have a uh, different, uh, different theories on that, but, uh, I'd, l- I'd love to see it. Mark, what, what, what do you think? Yeah. I agree. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, obviously, a man that's waiting to get out of the studio again tonight. <laughs> no, I'm, being, I'm, I'm just being cognizant. Like, you got to remember, poor Vincenzo, who has an abundance of energy tonight. I, like, I keep looking at the clock. And it's like, it's 2.05 a.m. Eastern. But all of that said, I also think that this I podcast is really good prep for him. Dude, you've got you've got a baby on the way, too. So this is going to be, be your norm. Yeah. But but as a collective, you know, my answer to that question is very much, I'm not going to be at the season finale this year, so I don't care. I'm not as emotionally <laughs> interested. And if you guys remember, too, like all year last year, I was like, it has to go down to the very last race or the very last lap for very personal reasons. And then it did. But the outcome just happened to be the exact opposite of what anybody could have wanted. So obviously over a 23 race campaign, it's far less likely that somebody's going to tie this thing up with three or four races left, right? Like yeah. it's far more likely that it's going to go much later in the season because the value of the points that you collect race over the race are devalued when there's so many more available over the course of the championship calendar. So I think it'll probably go towards the end. Um because I just, I don't think there's a clear, I don't think a team has clearly outmaneuvered the other teams in terms of out engineering them. And I think the Red Bulls look good. And I think the Ferraris look good. And I'm very confident that Mercedes is going to close up that gap. Sure. So it could conceivably be by the midway part, like maybe we come out of summer break and it's a three-way race. And I think that's all any of us could ask, could really ask for. So if, follow-up question, if this season doesn't go down to the wire the way last season did, is it a is it uh uh a is it considered 
a, I don't want to say a failure, but is it considered a failure on the regulations that are supposed to make things closer? Do you think no. that they consider no. that? Okay. No. I, and, and the reason being that Formula One's been very cautious and have been very careful with their messaging about the fact that the the results, the outcome of the, regula- the regulation changes won't necessarily be felt year one. That they're expecting that there's going to be some growing pains and it's going to be a transition. And again, ideally, DRS shouldn't be on these cars, right? They left a modified uh I would say weakened version of DRS on the cars because they weren't entirely confident that the regulation changes themselves were going to create the racing and the competitive parity on the track that they're hoping for long term. So I don't think that even if the championship was one with three races left, I don't think anyone would say, hey, the regulations don't work. I think they would say, hey, teams are still trying to come to grips with a revolutionary change in aero philosophy. I would say, you know, just to uh, to, to maybe counter that, uh, that uh, if after this weekend, Mercedes figure, figured out they win the next 20 races in a row and win the constructors and the drivers championship over again, then everybody will be, you know, obviously very skeptical about it. Um, Take away their wind tunnel at that point. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, say uh, Ferrari wins it or Red Bull wins it again. I mean, say say Ferrari come and win this one, then I, I think maybe maybe that marks a you know a, a change in the tide, a, a changing of the guard, if you will. That maybe maybe these are working, but I, I think that it will be um, you know it, it'll take a while to um, you know before sure. it, it's really felt. I mean, Mark, you made a couple of uh, really good points there, and I think uh, to um, you know especially. You know, obviously, at the moment, there's a deficit between Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari, and uh, I, you know, the, the question is, can they close that deficit to those other two teams? And you know, sure. it, you know, I mean, that's a legit question. I mean, it seems like fairly big at the time. Is it insurmountable? I, I won't write them off uh, just yet, but I mean, it's a, it's relative, right? I mean, maybe they're able to close that gap, but you know, how 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 much do the other teams like? Do they can they improve and make little tweaks here and there within the parameters? parameters and the boundaries that uh, they're allowed so we'll see boys it's going to be a really interesting uh, weekend it's uh, hopefully going to be uh, an interesting enjoyable season uh, here on out before we go vincenzo remind everybody where they can catch you on social media at vincenzo landino um that's the best place to find me and i'm now the f1 guy so the f1 kai.com is where you can get cool merch like this that I'm designing with with uh, right now with the team over at Breaking Tea, and Sweet. Uh, I want I definitely want to get input from the audience here, and and the audience over on Twitter because you are helping me shape the you know the new designs and we're trying to actually come up with stuff kind of in the moment. So as moments happen, as things happen during the year, people like to show off you know, those types of moments. And we want to be able to capitalize on things people actually care about. So cool. if you follow me over on Vincenzo Land, you know, we'll chat. Cool. And you can hey, follow daily. How's yep. our merch coming? Uh, yeah. Not, not quite so good as uh, the job that Vincenzo is doing. So, well, uh, you know, maybe we, we got to we'll, have a discussion we'll, there. We'll contract Vincenzo to take care of our merch. <laughs> that seems to be a, a strength of his. There you yeah. go. At least I could say that uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MarkDailyF1. You can follow Mr. Hamilton at Mark and Van City. You can follow us collectively at ScuderiaF1Pod or send us an email at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. And as always, if you like the show, please follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating review. It uh, We would really appreciate it. And Mark has put out our first uh, fan survey 
Uh, you can link to that uh, in Twitter, and we'd love to. We like to build the show around what you guys um, uh, like and what you enjoy, and the content uh, that you want to hear or see. So, uh, by all means, uh, please feel free to fill that out if you feel so inclined. And that is it for us. We're going to wrap it right here. We'll be back on Sunday night. Until then, enjoy the Grand Prix, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.